Welcome to the pre-show. Welcome to the pre-show. We are recording this episode on March the 1st. Uh, I don't think there's much more to say than our thoughts are with the people of the Ukraine right now. And as a Russian, fuck Putin. We will be right back with our guest, Ray Chelstowski. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hi, I'm Rachel Staski, a former publisher of Rolling Stone and Entertainment Weekly. I currently write a blog called Disciples of Sound and, and regularly contribute to outlets like Goldmine and Copper and others, uh, interviewing rock stars, uh, bands, and talking about rock and roll and where it's going. Uh, I'm here today with, with Greg and Kareem, and welcome to the music. Uh, and so where where are you right now? Are you in is it Minnesota? No, I uh, I'm in Connecticut. Uh, I live in Southport, Connecticut. Our office is in, in, in Minneapolis. And we get out there like once a once a month. And it's you know, it's a great, you know, typically it's been a great music town. It's not right now. I mean, most of the places are they're changing, but they've been open like, you know, they open up on like Thursday night. And I mean, restaurants and bars would open up Thursday night and, and go to like Sunday at brunch. You know, they're, it's still Target made it, you know, Target's the biggest employer in downtown. And, and they still were like on the fence about whether or not they were going to open up. So all these stores and restaurants are like, unless there's a, you know, a Timberwolves game or a Twins game or a, a, a Vikings game, we're not we're not going to be open. And it's too oh. bad. I mean, like, you know, there's there's right right down, you know. Maybe like a block from our office is First Avenue, um, and those guys are starting to get back up. But you know they Good. used to be seven days a week, um, yeah. all kinds of music. So uh, it's not there. Our, you know, we where I live in Connecticut um, is kind of interesting because um, we we have casinos in the like the northern part of the the state uh, on the shoreline mm-hmm. at are real big destinations for a lot of uh, a lot of acts. And so we have a couple spots here uh, in Fairfield and Bridgeport that get a lot of bands that can stop here and perform and then hit the casinos, then hit Boston. So it mm-hmm. sort of falls within that strike point of like you're not within 50 miles of our, you know, of a venue you're doing in Manhattan. So we get a lot of really interesting acts that perform here and sometimes in really small venues. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. And we are, we're back. I mean, we're, we're definitely back here. Good. We are we are just opening. We're we're full capacity. I think as of today. I don't know about live venues. I think uh, the Raptors at the ACC are doing full capacity. Oh, they are now. Oh, I thought they yeah. were still at fifty. Okay. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's today or tomorrow, but yeah, they just mm-hmm. started. So uh, things will get back to in air quotes normal. Yeah, you but guys have been. You, you're in, you're in Toronto, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you guys have been in in like a, a a crazy lockdown for a long time. I mean, I I don't know how you're doing it. It's been on, so it's been on and off. It's been strange. So obviously, uh, 
in early 2020, when nobody knew what the heck this was, things shut down. Um, I remember uh, maybe half the time I would go to a grocery I tried to go early in the morning so there'd be no rush. Um, but sometimes there'd be a lineup uh, to get into the grocery store because they wanted to make sure that there was enough space and there was no crowding. Obviously, theaters closed. Uh, restaurants closed. Uh, gyms, like all of those places closed. Schools closed for a bit. But then I think in the summer, in the summer, we thought things were quote unquote normal. I think, right? The summer of 2020, Greg? No. Yeah, but they weren't quite, they weren't quite normal. No, they weren't quite there. Like even you would go up to our cottage and we would leave. You know what I mean? Like we were still not really hanging out. That's right. I'm mixing my summers up. Last summer, things, we thought things were normal. Yeah, 2021. 2021 summer, we thought things were normal. I went to a couple of concerts uh we started you know meeting up with people uh yeah. and then and then this omicron thing happened and they sort of closed things down but uh you know speaking of work you know a, a vendor was asking today are we meeting in person or are we meeting on zoom and i said i don't know how i'm going to go back to the office i don't have time to travel to a meeting yeah. let alone travel to an office i'm just literally my days are packed. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's funny. And in, in, um, in Minneapolis, we're almost like, a, it's an exaggeration, but we're across the street from one of our clients. And mm-hmm. um, he works, he works for the ad agency for Target. Um, and he's the CEO of the, uh, of the shop and, and they're not allowed to see vendors. Like, we, you know, we could probably look at each other through the window and wave, you know, but it, it's kind of ironic. And I have a buddy of mine who works for Bolt House Farms and, they don't, his, most of his clients don't see, you know, go face to face, but they'll go to a supermarket and he'll get a ca- a, a, a cart and they'll walk side by side and have a conversation. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it changing. It's so efficient. It's not the best um, way to do this, but, you know, versus making people travel, the time, the whatever, you can bring as many people as you need into the car. Um, it's, it's, it's different. You know, I mean, I did a, uh, I did an interview with, uh, immediate family. Um, uh, you, you guys probably know these guys, they were once known as the section. So these guys backed up everybody from Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Warren Zevon, et cetera, you know, and I had them all on the screen here. Right. And they were, they weren't all together. Um, but nice. it was, it was a lot of fun and it was such a great, you know, uh, exchange that it became the interview. Like we went live with the, we, we, we posted this, right. Because it was fun. Waddy Wachtel, you know, exchange with Russ Conkle and and Danny Korchmar. And, you know, it was just really, it was really cool. And, and, and so, you know, I think that, you know, the other, you know, ability to record these things is, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's hard. When I was a publisher of Newsweek years ago, I went, we had this meeting with a guy who was a billionaire in Brazil and he was a big, he had a big um, uh, influence politically on a lot of things in our country, not, not just as his own. And we were, we were talking about him potentially sponsoring something that our editor, Tina Brown was putting together. And we went to this conference center in Midtown Manhattan, and it was it had a Cisco system in, which was basically a half conference room table, 
screen in front of you. You sat at the conference room table and everybody on the other side was sitting at the conference. And so even then there was this, um, this capability to do what we're doing now, yeah. um, but to do it in a, in a group setting where, which is different from here that you can turn to a colleague and go slip them a note and you can, you know, you can be a lot more productive. Um, but I, you know, it was an ability for them to be able to go. Oh, you know what? We're going to bring this guy in from marketing, and he's going to talk to us right now. And the guy would come in, and you know, you wouldn't have to go like, oh, we didn't bring so and so with us. Yeah. When they yeah. So it's it's um, you know, I it, it's interesting for me. Like that is as a segue. Um, I find that people in this setting and in the old school phone interview are much more comfortable to talk than they are face to face. You know, they're very Hmm. Very uncomfortable. Many people are like there's there's certain comforts that they have that they can turn to that you know it could be a nervous twitch. They could play with their phone like I'm doing right here, yeah. Uh, and and they and they'll speak to you more freely than than they will backstage or in a restaurant or in a hotel. Um, and when I tell people when I when you know people are like well, you didn't see them face to face, I'm like I prefer not to. Interesting. They're all so much more comfortable. And ironically, the more famous they are, the more comfortable they are in that format versus mm-hmm. somebody who's new and up and coming. Like there are certain people who get to a certain level where <clears throat> they're so programmed and they're so um, they're yeah. so trained by their PR people. You're not getting like the real them, like a Tom Hanks or a Julia Roberts. You're not going to get like the, anything real out of these. They're so rehearsed, so programmed. But a lot of people are, you know, they're they're not at as at ease, and you have to kind of get them there. Like I interviewed Ann Wilson from Heart yesterday, and you know I've interviewed her before. Like you know we've we've had exchanges, but you know I don't send them questions in advance. Maybe I should to go like, look, here's where we're going to go with your new album. Here's what we're going to talk about. So they don't know where, what's going to come, and I think that they're a little bit less um, comfortable with that as opposed to some emerging artists. However they always have better stories to tell. Like, you know, they, their points of reference are, are so much more interesting and diverse. I'm, what I'm, I'm really taken back by, and I don't know how old you guys are, but um, when, I, when I interview artists who were like in their 30s, okay, it's very rare for me to interview somebody in their 20s or their teens. They got to be like a blues prodigy, like a Marcus King. Got to be somebody who's really got some kind of perspective and inform their music. Otherwise, I could I could care less. Um, but a lot of these guys in their thirties, they're like they have no depth, like they have no real understanding. Like I grew up here in Connecticut. I grew up right where I live, listening to WDW, which was the big rock station in Manhattan, right? And they like these unbelievable giants of the, these DJs, like Scott the Professor Muni, who had this encyclopedic knowledge of the Beatles, and he'd be on drive time at four. And like, who could ever imagine that you'd have a guy? Who was like 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 every third song was going to be either Beatles or George or Paul or John solo work right? You're doing that at Drive in Manhattan, and you're still number one. Like we grew up with a different kind of understanding of music and our depth. Like you know, I was I was um, uh, hearing that the there's an artist who's escaping right me right now who just covered Lunatic Fringe from the '80s right or the late '70s. And, I, and I'm like, there's no way most kids today have any kind of thinking back about rock and roll the way I did 
you know, growing up in the 80s, you know, I was hearing 60s tracks of UNEW, and I was hearing 90s or 80s, 70s and 80s and going deep. And today, I don't know that, like, when I talk to people who are in their 30s, like, they understand, like, they'll know, like, Hardest, and they'll know Blood on the Tracks. And I hear those songs, those albums referenced all the time, right? Yeah. But it's really weird to hear somebody go, all right, I'm going to talk about Big Star, or I'm going to talk about um, uh, uh, Spirit, or I'm going to talk about these bands that really it had a huge impact on a lot of a lot of acts that they probably when they were like growing up in the late nineties listening to Counting Crows, those are the bands that informed them. They have no sense of that. And so the perspective they bring to the this the stories isn't as rich. Whereas I interviewed on um, what's today? Today's Tuesday. On Friday, was it Friday? I interviewed Prescott Niles, who was the bassist for The Knack. And The Knack is coming out with a live record from 91 for Record Store Day. And the stories this guy's telling, like, they're unbelievable. Like, this, he has so many stories to tell. Like, we went for an hour. We could have gone for another three hours. And it's not, you know, it's about him, you know, uh, you know, spending time as a teenager at George Harrison's estate because he was friends with other people. Wow. You know, it's it's him talking about how Doug, who's the leader of the NAC, his brother was a big attorney and defended uh, Kevorkian, and Kevorkian came into the green room. And, you know, was uh, you know they're seeing them before their sets, and it was all these really interesting stories, and they got things to tell. And and to me, you know, given the fact that a lot of these guys have aren't, aren't going to live past you know, the age of 80, based on what we're seeing right yeah. now. We got to get the stories down now. We got to really understand what they're, what they were into, what their influences are. And, 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 and to me, that's, you know, that's really, you know, somebody like Bono doesn't really have anything new to share, particularly unless he has some new interest, right? Sting, um, the most interesting Sting interviews for me are when he's like interviewed by Rick Beto and he's actually talking about music yeah. theory and composition and, and the creative yeah. process. That's a very interesting thing, but mm-hmm. he, he's not going to get into a discussion about, um, you know, uh, one of the early uh, police albums and give you something that you, you can't find elsewhere. So it's yeah. a lot of these people are to me um, are, are really interesting. I'm interviewing on Friday. Uh, Aldo Nova. And oh wow! Nova is like he, you know, he had he had a sound in in, in the early eighties with you know it's just a fantasy that really kind of informed yeah. um, Bon Jovi and on and Def Leppard their sound. Um, but the guy went on to write operas. He actually you know wrote a song for Celine Dion, and you know that probably you know made more money for him than anything else he's done. And so. You know, seeing those kind of trajectories and talking to those folks is is is, is really interesting. And um, when you get them on the phone and they can relax, as opposed to having them in person, they can go they can go for forever. So you've just dropped a whole whack of Canadian bands and uh, <laughs> from, from Lunatic Fringe of with Red Rider and all the way through. Um, you, you, you you talked about the youth and not having that experience, but what I'd love to get your view on not, and again, we, they, they're, they're a past guest of ours on the show. Um, but I think it, it, on your, um, your blog disciples of sound, is that correct? I forgot that, yep. right? Yes. Disciples of sound. Um, one of the bands I wanted to bring up to get your opinion on was crown lands. Cause they are young guys who are creating music that. I yeah. Like. Uh, you know, so, you know, as much as, you know, I'll talk to, uh, so I, I, um, 
I interviewed Don Brewer from Grand Funk Railroad two weeks ago. He's the drummer and lead. He, he shares lead. Um, you know, he's saying we're we're an American band. And I asked him like about new material, and he's like, you know, we we write new material, we play it, we work it into our sets, but you know, we're not going to record it because no one's going to listen to it, no one's going to play it. It's a real shortcoming of rock radio, at least in the states. Rock radio in the states is really you know, abandon the genre where like a two for Tuesday ought to be an opportunity for you to hear, you know, some kind of wonderful. And then there a, a new song. I would prefer that. That'd be kind of cool because a lot of these people are, are making music that um, is, is really interesting. When you hear this new Ann Wilson album, it's, if you like heart, the, not the eighties heart, I'm talking like, you know, dreamboat, you know, and that kind of heart, you're going to love it. Um, the blog for me started out, I, I started it 10 years ago when I was the publisher of Entertainment Weekly. And I, I um, my assistant and I would talk every morning about rock and roll. And she's like, hey, you really got to start a blog. And I'm like, I don't even know about to start a blog. What do I know about writing a blog? I, I started doing it. And, and I started writing about records that meant something to me and that had an impact on me and that there, there was a story behind it. Like, you probably wouldn't know, but this was blank, right? And... Um, I uh, and it did well. Like it, did, it performed well. Like you know, I promoted it with, with people, and it was named after Disciples of Soul, which Little Steven is like my, one of my my he and Robbie Robertson are my two my two guys. So it's wow. a play on on um, on Disciples of, of Sound uh, of Soul. And um, one morning, um, I one day I got a uh, a note from the publicist for Robert Craig, and and. Whenever Robert comes into town, she always hooks me up. We go, but we go to the show. We go backstage. We drink wine with him. We talk. He's a, he's a wonderful guy, and it's always a great experience. With him. And uh, so she sent me a press release about this jam festival that she was promoting, that was happening in in the Ozarks. And she's like, you know, could you give me a little a little plug about this? And um, it was the Wakarusa Festival, and I and I did it. And you know, as much as I'm into like jam bands, like I don't go really deeper than like you know pigeons playing ping pong, or you know, like I don't go deeper than that. That's as deep as I'll go. And even though I when I I, I do a lot of writing about like the Grateful Dead and the Almond Brothers, and deal quite a bit with their organizations. Um, there were a lot of bands within that lineup in the building that I didn't know, um, but I thought that the idea of this festival was pretty cool. So I wrote this piece, this is your story. I wrote this piece on a Saturday morning before like seven in the morning, shortest piece I've written, right? Put some point of view on it, right? Um, go to take my daughter to a basketball game. I come back around 10 o'clock. It's got 50,000 hits. I'm like, wow, right? Um, go to, you know, back out after lunch. It's got like 200,000 hits, right? End of the weekend, it's got like half a million hits. And I'm, I can't add this stuff up. And most of it were people like, this guy is always talking about, you know, really getting <laughs> into this thing, getting engaged. And then there are other people like, God, right on, man. It was either, it was total polar opposites. You're either right on, man, or you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and it, what, it, what it showed me was that a couple things. One, um, you know, unless you have a real compelling book about an existing album, right? Um, it's probably been covered in some way. So it, it's got to be an interesting point of view. Um, and that when you write about new bands, um, some of these bands really have really rabid followings and, and can get after it. 
Uh, and so the blog, when I started writing for other outlets like Goldmine and Copper and other places where I did a lot more interviews, the blog really became a, a platform for me to put a showcase and a spotlight on bands that don't get a lot of attention, right? And and what I started to see was that um, a lot of the press releases I'd get, and I'd probably, probably get like 20 of them a day, maybe 30 a day, were starting to become socialized. And people understood that I was lending a voice to brands that weren't going to get airplay, weren't going to get picked up, probably weren't going to be like thrown into a Spotify or Apple Music or Pandora mix, but really had a sound um, that, that people wanted to listen to or would want to listen to. And if I could ladder something that people knew to what these people were doing, um, it would give them, um, give them some lift. Um, what's kind of surprising is, is how, uh, how passive a lot of these, these bands are in terms of social and, and actually promoting their own music and getting it out there. And what they need is they need um, people who are young folks to, to get out there and actually make it happen. So there were a bunch of bands and, and I, you know, some of the bands, like there, there was a band uh, whose whose name is escaping me right now out of Iceland, which was this band that really reminded me a lot of the Alarm, which I love the Alarm, mm. and and I was like, these guys got to get heard. Um, and it's one of those moments that I have when I when I do get on the phone with, particularly with Steve Van Zandt, that outside of the interview, I'll be like, all right, here's what I'm listening to, right, and and. You, you got to check this out. And there were certain artists like Richard Heyman, who I don't know if you're familiar with Heyman, but he 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 is his he, he's a remarkably talented guy, um, uh, based in Manhattan, has been making like peripheral hits and alternate rock for you know 30 years. Always asking like, give me the new stuff, give me the new stuff. And that's the hard thing, right? Is like screening it. I I I started a. Um, I started a a, a, uh, a mix about when I was a publisher of Rolling Stone. I started this on, on CD, a mix called the Shelly Mix. And a buddy of mine was the uh, president of an apparel company, and his name is Shelly. We're uh, taking the train home one night from the city. He's like, "Yeah, I love rock and roll, but I, I can't find anything. I don't. I, I I turn the radio on. It's all the stuff that I grew up with. I can't hear any new music." Uh, so I started this this mix of about twenty songs, and I probably do one a quarter. And I'm up to like Shelly forty four now. <laughs> it's it's all music that is like like what you're talking about bands that these these folks haven't heard and part of the way that i get people into it is when they get to hear someone do a cover of a song they know right and they're having like it's a completely different understanding you know and and the most recent shelly is going to have uh, uh songs from this documentary that i just wrote about beatles in india which is if you get a chance to see you got it you got you got to watch it because it's really it's a remarkable story, but it's also when you hear the soundtrack and you hear how any artists actually interpret um, uh, uh, well-known songs by the Beatles, um, largely from the White Album, uh, which is what that 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 trip informed. You hear it in a completely different way, and and it's 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 gotten so popular that you'll get a kick out of this. Shelly was at a party and he's listening to one of the, it was like a barbecue in the summertime. He's listening to the sound sequence and he picks the next song. He's like, I, I, what is this? And the guy comes up to him and goes, you know, it's funny you should, you should ask because it's, this is called the Shelly mix, right? This is the, <laughs> and he goes, I'm Shelly. It's me. That's me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I try to, I try to make a, a point of, 
of going through it. And what I do is over the weekend, I'll go through all these emails that I, that I've received over the, 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 the week and I'll listen to stuff and, and I'll, I'll punch it all out and then I feed it out day by day over the week. Um, and it's really the, the, the blog has really become much more about that. It's become about how do I, you know, how do I do that for, for artists and give them a, a, a voice. And if they're, if they're good about it, you know, it really does get out there and, 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 and people get to know about it. You know, the other thing is are people who are like Simon. So there's, there's a great, great um, record um, uh, by this guy, Rick Holstrom, who's been Mavis Staples band leader and guitarist for, I think, like 25 years. And he just came out with a solo record that if, if you ever like the meters, right, like it's, it's like right up there. And this guy's, you know, he's not going to get the kind of attention, maybe on NPR, someone might give it to him, but I can't find a, an outlet where he's going to get um, uh, the kind of airing that he deserves. And, and so that's really what I try to focus on. Um, it doesn't always work, you know, it, it's, you know, if the, you know, half, half, you know, Greg, half the, what comes down to is whether or not the album art is compelling, you know what I mean? Like really like if they, you know, uh, if the album art grabs people, that's great. Like I, there's, I think the best new album that I've heard um, is by this woman in Boston named Susan Burgess. And she sounds like a, like a rocked up Cheryl Crow. She has this new record out called together alone. It's fantastic. There's not a, if this, this, if this was 1995, she'd be a, she'd be a star. Right. Wow. The album cover is kind of compelling. Right. Mm-hmm. But the record, like how do you get someone to get inside there and, and do mm-hmm. that? And um, very, very difficult to do. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't even imagine what it would be like to try to be an artist and get your music heard right now. Because mm. when I grew up, it was rock radio, and you listen to radio. Um, you're washing your car. You're throwing a ball with a buddy. You have a song. Like I can remember, when I heard "Born in the USA" for the first time, and what I was doing. Now it's all one-on-one. You put your earbuds in and you're listening to it. And there's no like, aha moment. There's no, and it kind of belies what music is about. And I think what life's about, life is meant to be shared. And so is music. Music's not meant to be this one-on-one thing where you have it by yourself. You're supposed to be with people going, can you believe what we're listening to? This is unbelievable. Yeah, we and, used to do that. I mean, we used to do that as kids. I remember we all sit in basements and throw on the vinyl and you'd listen to like, Def Leppard high and dry and it would be a shared experience among your friends. Right. Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I picked up this record this weekend at a record use record store. Cause I didn't have any of her stuff, but Mary Clayton. So if you've seen the movie 20 feet from stardom, it's about all the whip, uh, all these, these backup singers who had all the chops to be real stars, but mm-hmm. you know, they didn't get the material or whatever. And she was the one who sang, She's singing on so many things, but probably her most infamous moment was singing that 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 riff on "Give Me Shelter." You know, yes. so she was yeah. a female voice in the back. I mean, just a huge powerhouse. I can't get enough of that song, right? I mean, and she 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 was pulled out of bed in the middle of the night, like literally like two in the morning. She was pregnant, had curlers in her hair, was in pajamas and a robe, came to the studio, knocked it out first try, and then they were like, "You want to do it again?" Just for like did it again, right? But like, just, just, <laughs> and these stories are unbelievable, right? And you look at yeah. this and you go, so I picked up this record from her and, and you're, it's like, okay, 
it's pre, it was produced by um, Steve uh, Tyrell, ironically. Huh. And you're looking at all the people she's doing, Joe, Joe Sample songs. She's doing, you know, Will, all the songs, other songs are written by Will Jennings. And if you didn't, you know, if you didn't know Will Jennings and Steve Winwood from the, the 80s, right, you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that. But like going back, you're like, wow, right? Um, that idea of sitting and pouring over liner notes to me, yeah. that was like my, that was, that's been my whole life. Like, I, I think, I think he's geeking out over something right now in liner notes. I, I, th- I thought it was, <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought it was on this album, um, Exile on Main Street, but because I remember. No, no, watching, no, no. It's no. on, um, it's on, um, um, Beggar's Banquet, isn't it? Yeah. You so might, yeah. It's Banquet or Let It Bleed. I can't remember right now. Yeah. I, I remember watching the, the documentary of, uh, XL on Main Street. It was just fascinating. Um, oh, yeah. Just amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable, too, that the record probably, for a long time, it was my favorite rock record of all time. Um, it ranked among the best rock records of all time. And it had really effectively no hit, right? I mean, it had Tumble and Dice, but it, yeah. Tumble and Dice wasn't like a, a for a double album, it wasn't a, a record that was you know, like tattoo you. Right. Um, and, and yet it, it's gone down in history to, you know, let it bleed. You know, the, the stones are so fascinating because they basically, they toured for 50 years on four records. You know, it's like, you're you know, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You, you talked about, we talked about uh, this whole uh, phenomenon of, of sharing music and listening together uh, and that sort of brings me to, you know, one of the things that Greg and I wanted to get your thoughts on is streaming. And, and I think it started from file sharing and, you know, places like Napster uh, and such. And, and was it LimeWire, I think, was, was, one yeah, was one that I used back in the day. Um, you're like, it's the GD got let out of the bottle and it's, it's never really gone back in. Even though you know we've got "quote unquote" legal places to listen to music like like your Spotify and your Pandora, um, will I don't know if the question is can music recover or will music recover? But what you know, what are your thoughts on where we are today with with music streaming? Um, it's a really good question because I just started literally just started streaming and I um. Um, I got earbuds for my phone and um, with it came a six month free trial to Apple music. And um, I find it when I'm walking the dog to be a very um, practical thing because I don't have any wires and I can, I can do what I'm doing. Um, you know, I, I have a tree house where I, I, I take I have people up to, to listen to music and I, I have an old school iPod. Okay. Yeah, I think I've got it right back here. And people are like, "Hey, do you have this song?" I'm like, "No, I don't have that." And I've got like ten thousand songs on the on, on, on. And like, doesn't it drive you crazy that you don't have that on here? I'm like, "No, I got plenty of songs. On here. I don't need like, I like having control. I like being at the wheel, and I also don't like like navigate. I feel like the navigation of, uh, on, on these streaming services isn't really." Uh, clear. Years ago, I, I took a trial to Spotify, and I was going to build a Tom Petty channel. And so their their algorithm started to inform that channel. And because he was from from Florida, right, it started throwing like Marshall Tucker and stuff into it. I'm like, I'm not here to to, to diss on Marshall Tucker, but like, 
I'm not thinking of Marshall Tucker when I'm thinking of Tom Petty, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. the same kind of uh, genre. So I found that the whole thing was kind of uh, uh, a miss. I I think that I think that part of the reason why it's working more for people today, forgetting the convenience of it, is the fact that artists aren't being charged with building complete well thought out works of music like late for the sky right where you you build a record around a theme and it has mm-hmm. a beginning and the end and the tracking of the record has meaning that everything is thought through it's not like i need another song like you know go, what can i cover no you're you're really this is an expression and 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 people talked about records having a very specific impact right and addressing something so you know blood on the tracks it's a divorce record right and it 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 starts in a specific way and ends in a specific way um and the detail and care that went into the building of that is something that the that that is part of that listening enjoyment right you, you go through it and you if you study the record you understand like it becomes it's almost like watching a, like a a movie unfold a classic film unfold Today, um, one, you know, it's rare to find people now putting out albums. It's if they're going to put out EPs, right? And they'll see how it works. You know, you even see like a John yeah. Mayer going, and I throw out three EPs, and oh, it's one record. Um, it's it's uh, a different kind of cadence. Um, I think that there we're we're back to like the fifties where it was it's all single based. I got a single. It's about that kind of zeitgeist it's not about real talent it's like we'll throw it through auto-tune we'll do whatever um and so the way that people are consuming music is is surgical strikes it's not a sit-down listening experience like people don't the fact that people are listening to music through these little speakers right which have remarkable capacity for what they are is is different for me we're behind me. I got a 1971 Macintosh preamp, a 67 amp, a 1971 Thorns turntable. Like I want to sit here and listen, albeit in an imperfect environment where I've got an oil tank, I got an air conditioner handle, I've got concrete floors, right? Doesn't matter. Like I want to hear the thing. I want to sit and listen. And and that's something that music doesn't enjoy any longer, right? You're gonna say um, Siri or or on Amazon, you're going to call out the song. I want to hear this right now? And I'm meanwhile doing other things. And, it's and now, you know, you're yeah. sitting down. And so, how do you take kids who are um, uh, accustomed to that that kind of consumption and change it to a more relaxed? I, I don't know how it's done. Um, you know, I've I've gifted uh, uh, a turntable and amp and speakers to to. A, a, in one case, a guy who's 29, who never, like, I had to show him how to use the record, how to put the needle down. And he's like, he's, he digs that. He, there's a, there's a, a serenity and a kind of a Zen to it that he finds. Um, but I just don't know uh, if that, if that'll go. I do love the fact that, that vinyl is on the rise. We went into a record store here in Connecticut on Saturday. I came out, I was walking in and a bunch of young teenagers coming out with stacks of records. That's so right. I'm encouraged by that. 
Um, I think that the, the the fidelity of these new records on 180 gram vinyl is really spectacular. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, I've I've done those things where I play, like my wife uses Apple Music quite a bit. And I've, I've said to her, the sound just is, the streaming sound is terrible. It's just, it's just awful in comparison to a CD and definitely in comparison to vinyl. Like, you know, the, the sonic differences are, are, are scientifically demonstrated that they're, they're, they're different. So when you compress the sound, it doesn't have the same kind of body and warmth and, and depth mm. that you have even on a CD. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't, I don't know that, um, we're going to get back to that idea, right? I, you know, it's the same thing with network television. When I grew up watching TV, if you watched a hit show, you were kind of like, I'll give five minutes to the next one coming up, right? Like, yeah, I'll roll in, right? Now, when you're, when you're doing streaming TV, you know, you, you may scroll into the next episode, right? When you're binging, but it's not going to go like, okay, well, you were watching the after party. Now we're going to roll you into, suspicion right like that's not that's not how it works so i don't know i i i i I think that it's it's um it's uh it's not encouraging in in any way and i think that if you're a you're a recording artist you got to think about other ways to make money you got to think about merchandising you got to think about really building out your your store you got to think about ways that you put yourself in, in front of people in 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 not conventional ways. There's a guy who I interviewed whose name taping me right now who went to college with Zach Braff um, from Scrubs. And, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't know why I'm, it's Joshua and I'm forgetting his last name right now. Um, the guy got his song on Scrubs because of Zach, right? His first song. And, and he started doing all these television appearances where he's on all these, and all these different shows, just his music is playing. You know, and people are using, you know, apps to determine who he is. And, and so his streaming numbers are through the roof. Um, I forget how many millions he streamed, but that was his pathway of actually building a fan base that he could tour around. Uh, uh, I think that there's still the way that the Blues Traveler did it. And frankly, John Mayer did it where you get on the road, you start touring and you start building a fan base. And, and, and it's old school. Yeah. But, the idea of 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 the knack coming out, a band like the knack coming out with a, a, a great song like My Sharona and it going to the top in rock, um, I, I can't see it. I can't. Huh. I, I want to see it. I can't see it. It's it's interesting. I was I was looking at 2006, the year that you started at the Rolling Stone, uh, and I looked at the top three albums of 2006. And it's, it's interesting if you compare it to today. Bob Dylan, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Sonic Youth, one, two, and three. And, you know, I, I, I listened to the Rolling Stone podcast, and, you know, when they did the, the top albums of, you know, 2021, the sound is so different today yeah. than it was then. I wanted to ask you, Ray, you know, you talked about, you know, quality of music. I don't know if you've read this book by uh, Neil Young and Phil Baker to feel the music, wow. you know, back when uh, Neil was, was trying to build up Pono um, and, and now he's turned that into uh, Neil Young archives. Um, just wonder, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, you know, his, I guess his fight to improve or to, 
yeah, I guess to improve the quality of, of music that we listen to uh, and to have, uh, you know, as, as close to the sound that the artists hear when they're recording in the studio versus, you know, like you said, everything's all compressed to these days. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, you know, I think that uh, it, it's, it's sort of a pointless exercise because mm. um it, there's no point of reference for most people, right? Like they don't know, you know, I used the example of, of one time I was in a car with my oldest brother and we we're driving. He's like, um, Hey, what, what, how, what does that sign say? How, how many miles until the exit? I'm like, I can't read it. So you can't read that. I said, no. And he handed me his glasses and I, and I was like, Oh my God, huh. like glasses. Like I, I need context. I need something like, like this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. <laughs> Like I had lived where there was such a small, um, you know, a difference in terms of my like vision, what the prescription would do. And the same thing holds true when I when I take people through. I, I love doing it. But I go like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take one song, and I'm going to play a record, then I'm going to play a CD, then I'm going to play a download. Now we're going to stream it, and you see the progression where it becomes thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. But without that context. You know, you don't really have any understanding that you're being, you know, you're being let down. I think is what he's done in that regard is noble. Yeah. Um, I think as an artist, you really do. You spend so much time, hopefully, in the studio working to um, a an absolute to a, perf- a point of perfection that you want it to be represented that way. Um, so I get that. I just don't know that the market, you know. Uh, is 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 there for that, right? I mean, you think about like um, one of the one of the um, one of the places where most teenagers spent the most time really jamming to music, right? We're, we're in cars, right? Because they're probably in a house where parents were like, "Turn that shit down! I don't want to hear it," right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get in a car and you're like, "Now I'm cranking it." But it's such an imperfect environment. The car cabin is like, it's not, you know, it's it's not made for. This is not a a sound capsule, right? It doesn't matter, right? I'm playing it loud, and I'm like, it's it's the energy that the 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 power of it is what's driving me. So I don't I, I don't know that that's the case. I will tell you that when I play vinyl for people, even down here, and people listen to it, they're like, wow. And they also, I think understand that there's a you know there is that 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 ability that it has to really relax you and mm. I, I i think that mm. the part of you know these algorithms are interesting on on streaming music because they'll recommend things to you that you're like oh this is kind of interesting right but it's it's not the same thing as really sitting down and listening to a record and most people who who stream that i know are like, okay, I like you too. Give me whatever I, and then you're all over the place on music and you're like, I don't like this. I don't like that. Like it doesn't necessarily drive you in the same way as if I were to say, all right, here's a band from Canada that if you like, you know, band of horses, you're going to really take this, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's sit down and listen to it. And yeah. that's a totally different way of, of consuming music yeah. that I, I would really hope that people get to instead of if I had to pick one thing, Cream, I would say I'd like people to listen to albums again. If, if you want to stream it, you want to do it on C, whatever way you want to listen, but let's listen to a record. Yeah. Right? 
Um, and I like to see artists get back to, to, to thinking through that, that, that process. And I, and I definitely can tell you when I, when I talk to people, when I'm like, there's no, there's, there's no, there's nothing here. This is just like, it kind of fit. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, funny you, it's funny you say that Ray, my son literally this weekend asked me, I don't understand what's a record. <laughs> so I, as we're driving, I had to say, okay. For, I got confused by the question. And then I realized, yeah, he doesn't like his generation doesn't know unless they're around vinyl. And he doesn't, my son doesn't come into this room. Um, but I had to explain to him, okay, this is, this is what a record is. You I know? remember, I remember sitting down, I remember sitting down my 20 somethings boys. Um, I pulled the duel out, hadn't been out of, the, the closet for probably 15, 20 years, about 20 years, probably since they were little. Uh, and, and I sat them down. I, I got it. I took it in to get service, set it all up with the Hoffler and the Kefs. And I threw on level 42 a physical presence and made them sit and listen to it. And they, like, I got goosebumps because they were just like, they had never in their lives experienced that sonic sound coming at them. It was just mind blowing for them. Sorry. It's so true. I mean, it's, you know, my kids grew up with it. Like it's never, I've never stopped with them. On them right. Um, and my wife finally drew the line on cassettes. Cause I ended up getting a, uh, uh, an old Nakamichi RX 202, which like the dragon at the end of the, the tape that the, the carriage pops out, spins and then snaps back in. Like it's just sort of, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I gotta get some cassettes. And now cassettes like are really, you know, around us, cassettes are are pricey. Like, because a lot of rap artists use them to promote their their music, and a lot of indie bands use them. Um, but the I, the idea of a record, and one of the things that I got that's maybe the the as much as the these things here, these these old vintage units are, are important to me. Um, is my PI record clear? Um, that is. Mm. You, so I was in a uh, I was at a record store in Mystic, Connecticut, right, right, right down the street from Mystic Pizza, where the movie was shot. Mm-hmm. And I keep hearing a vacuum, and I'm like, "What's this guy? Where's this guy? There's not enough carpet in this place for this guy to be vacuuming. What is he vacuuming?" And it was it was that cleaner, and, and it's a it basically is a box, and you clamp the record down, and you put the cleaning solution out, and you you scrub the record with the cleaning, and then you take an arm over a vacuum arm, and it sucks all that off. Mm. cleans the records that's phenomenal yeah. and yeah. so like they're, they're even down with like with the, with understanding how to do that and it's i don't know my my my, my son i i i believe would because he plays guitar and he would he would he would continue with that i don't know my daughter would but you know it's a even cds like the, the, the my my family will be like we can just put it up on apple music i'm like no we're <laughs> That's funny. Even uh, Liam Gallagher just released a new new album. Yeah, uh, and he's got cassette. You can actually buy cassettes of it. Uh, right. It's, it's, I saw it's, that. Yeah, it's hilarious. Um, Sting is the last. I, I don't know if he's the last. The last I heard, um, artist to sell a portion, if not all, their catalog over to uh, a, a big company. I think Universal is who he sold his catalog to. Um, and, and for a while I thought it's, you know, it's, it's all of these people that are, you know, they, they want to cash in, they, they're nearing retirement. 
They need to cash in. They need to do their their tax planning um, as as they near the end. But then there's also people like Mark Ronson, you know, who who's yep. uh, who's worked with a lot of you know uh, current pop stars and Jack Antonoff as well, who've done the same thing. Um, so I don't know if it's about retirement planning anymore and cashing in. Um, no. No, it's very, I, it's very interesting. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's one of the great um, letdowns of, of rock and roll, in my opinion. You know, tell, tell, yeah, interesting. You think that? Okay, go ahead. Um, so if you're worried about Sting's financial position, I'm not worried. <laughs> uh, he makes apparently somewhere like between six and six thousand and eight thousand dollars a day for royalties on every breath you take alone. Wow. That song alone earns him six to eight thousand dollars a day. So the idea that this is about <laughs> you know nesting that he and Trudy need to make sure that you know they can make ends meet through these high inflationary times <laughs> is uh, is uh, probably misguided. I'd like to believe, um, um, as a lifelong Springsteen fan who's lost um, a lot of. Uh, um, What's the word I would use? Um, he's really down quite a bit, I think, um, in probably since the rising. I'd like to think that the $500 million that he, uh, he captured through that sale of his publishing rights would end up doing some charitable good mm. in the world. You know, uh, and that's what I that's what I think is absent here is that mm. if you are out there talking about these these, these issues that are important. Right and, and these these places of inequity uh, and areas where people need attention and help. Um, you know, if you've made money um, singing about the plight of the working folks and, and working men and women, um, it'd be really terrific to know that you mm. did something to help them back. Right. Mm. Um, one of the best stories I've ever heard from one of the like most humble guys I've ever met, a real idol of mine, is Bob Cedar. So Bob Seeger told us this story at Rolling Stone that was really, really touching. And he was at a diner in Detroit with his family in the morning having breakfast, a weekend. And he came by a table, which had a bunch of guys who were, were clearly auto workers because they had union shirts and stuff on. And he was just like, hi. And one of the guys was like, hey, don't hide me. He's like, He's like you yeah, know, we're going through this, this, this challenge here in Detroit. We're losing all these manufacturing jobs. And what are you doing to help us? You know, we, you're here, you know, you're living in, in the town, you're making all this money, and we're losing our jobs, and blah, 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 you know. And it really, it really hit him hard. And so he ended up um, doing the song Like a Rock for Chevy Trucks as a result of that. But I don't think he made any money on this. Um, and it, it resulted in, when they had that song as their theme song for Chevy Trucks, they were the number one truck. In America, for as long as they used that in their ad campaign, it was like he was like, "I got to do something to help sell Chevy trucks because we got a plant here uh, in Detroit." And these guys like they called me out on it. I'd like to think that Springsteen would do something with that five hundred million dollars. I'd like to think that Neil Young would do something, right? I mean, like he's done certainly a lot of charitable work against um, the needs that his special needs son has, etc. Right. Um, but all these guys, I'd like to think that they could, that at least this sum of money isn't just going to go into a trust to help, you know, Springsteen's son, who's a firefighter, make ends meet, you know, over the years. 
a lot of money, 500 million bucks. And it can do a lot to change. And yeah. so I'd like to think that that's what, 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 what happens there. Um, I do think, and you guys probably feel the same way, um, that it's really kind of like it takes it, it, it takes a, a little bit of the soul and heart out of music when I'm strolling down a supermarket aisle and I hear you know, <laughs> music that I grew up and raised hell with. Right. And now it's like in, it's in the frozen food section of my stop and shop. Right? <laughs> you know, that, did you have to sell the ability to play it here? Really? Uh, and like that's, I, I, that's where like for all that people used to complain about music, music was the, was the first line of defense against hearing your favorite band played right in the meat section of your, you know, your Wawa. Um, so I, 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 I get why everyone's doing it. They're doing it. Cause I really think the reason they're doing it is I think that they're, they're looking at this saying there's going to be a saturation point where we got enough music. You know, you know like if you are, um, if you're James Taylor, right. Yeah. Uh, someone might be like, well, we just got Jackson Brown. Like, we don't need you. Like, we got that. We got singer-songwriter covered, right? Oh, Carol King. We already got Carol King, so we don't really need Carly Simon. Like, I think that people are doing it the way they're doing it right now because they're being advised that there's going to be a point in time where you're not going to command that money because they're going to be looking for certain slots to fill. You know, we've got female singer-songwriter from the 70s. We've got the punk band from the early 80s. We've got, uh, you know, I... And then there are some people who I don't think that will ever have a market for that. Thank God. And their music will stay pure, like uh, Zevon, like Tom Waits. Like Tom Waits, you're not going to like sell Wonder Bread with it. You're not going to, you know, I don't think, you know, anything's possible. Right? You know, and, and even like someone who's you know, another big, I'm a huge fan of like uh, Paul Weller. I can't see Weller ever letting himself no. commercialize like that. He'd have to be on, 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 on his heels financially to make that happen. So, hmm. you know, if you read the stories, I mean, like you read, if you read the book, like Mansion on the Hill, which is a great book on uh, Neil Young, Springsteen, um, and uh, Dylan, who all had a song called Mansion. These yeah. guys are, they're, they're capitalists at heart. They, you know, they're not, they are capitalists. You know, yeah. um, you know, bon, bon, John Bon Jovi, apparently everybody in his band is an employee of John Bon Jovi, Inc. You know, like, yeah. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me on some of these folks. Um, it may surprise some people who don't know enough about the artist to understand how commercially minded they really are. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, you, 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 I think I've gone on record here that if, if Waits or Weller sells the catalog, <laughs> Wherever you are, you'll know that wherever I am, I'm not very happy. You're, you're, cry, you're crying for sure. Um, we probably have time for one more question, uh, Ray. Although, you know, we could probably go on for hours, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, you asked Ann Wilson a question. Um, I don't know if it was the first time you spoke to her. It definitely wasn't yet when you spoke to her yesterday. Right. But you asked her, is rock dead? And I think you were quoting Gene Simmons. Yeah. 
um, who, who claimed that Rock was dead. I want to ask you that question. Uh, is Rock dead on March the 1st, 2022? So I ask a lot of people that question because there was an article in the Washington mm-hmm. Post called The Death of the Electric Guitar. Um, and it, it ran a couple of years ago. And it was about the fact that the electric guitar is is absent in almost all popular music. You don't need guitar in in, in most of what you hear on a C one hundred station. Um, and then it coupled with the fact that Fender and Gibson were filing for bankruptcy, right? And, and Guitar World, Guitar Center, these store, stores were struggling. And that even in rock and roll, there weren't the guys who I grew up with, like Eddie Van Halen, who like when that solo came in, you were like doing air guitar, right? So even rock and roll that was being made wasn't being built around a solo. Right or 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 uh, capacity in that area. Um, I think that that rock and roll isn't is is isn't dead. It's in um, it, it's in hibernation, right? Mm-hmm. It's in hibernation in that it doesn't have a rightful outlet for you to discover it. It doesn't have an ability for you to go. Wait a minute, what? That is that sounds fantastic, right? For all the discussion that people are like, well, it's derivative. Oh, you know what? Um, a lot of stuff in the 60s was derivative of the 50s, and the 50s was derivative of the blues. And the 70s was, you know, you could ladder it back to folk. And so, like, you know, the, 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 if, you, if you want to talk about what it was the most, you know, and Steve Van Zandt does a better job of this than, than, than I will right now, but he, the most important music period of rock and roll was the late 60s. <laughs> Because it was the time in which rock, rock and roll was most creative and most commercial at the same time. It could be exploratory and tap into jazz and folk and, and world sounds, et cetera, and still be commercially viable because the audience was open and available to it, right? Um, and then in the 70s, it became corporate rock, and corporate rock was about what we are today. It's about driving hits. Um I believe that there's music out there that's being made by a lot of artists that is, is like, if you told me you liked the Stones, I'd go, you got to listen to Jesse Mallon. If you told me you liked the Who, like, I can direct you to people who are making music today. Um, if you told me any band that you like, that you'd go, I got to listen to it. And that's really the spirit of the, the, the Shelly uh, CDs uh, are at. The problem for rock and roll is, is that it, it, it's kind of like newspapers, Right, newspapers, advertisers abandoned it, right, and then readers abandoned it because they wanted immediacy, right? Um, radio abandoned rock and roll. If radio was there, terrestrial radio was there, radio would be in a different place than it is today. Um, satellite radio had an ability to do that and started curating rock in, in some interesting ways with stations like the Spectrum. But what it really needs is it needs someone to amplify it and put it in front of folks, right? I really believe that what we have today in terms of music are people consuming things that they're fed and they're fed this stuff and that that's what they're listening to. Right. It's not, I don't know that the music that we're hearing today that's popular is going to be um, the kind of stuff that's played at a Super Bowl 20 years from now at the halftime show. Right. I don't think it's going to be like Snoop and Dr. Dre. Right. I don't, that, that moment of, of, of rap, was 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 just as important as the founding moments of rap, right? It had it had real meaning. Uh, right now, we're manufacturing things, and I I see that younger people today are gravitating towards three kinds of music: they're gravitating towards hip hop, they're gravitating towards arena country, 
this like arena rock country, and they're gravitating towards classic rock, right? And I see it, you know, with my son who's 21 and my daughter who's 17. That's where they're 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 moving. Um, I, I think that the people who are going towards country rock are looking for that kind of moment, that kind of fist in the air moment that we grew up with the Who. And, and, and bands like Van Halen and, and, and Guns N' Roses and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and right, um, but it's it it, it 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 can't just live on a ground grassroots level. It can't just be that Pearl Jam is starting and 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 Nirvana are starting and 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 Seattle and they're making a lot of rattle and noise in that market. They have to have something that amplifies it. And that takes it and brings it to a broader audience. And I don't know that there is something today that allows for that to happen. Yeah. And that's because, because I've been waiting for like the next grunge and I'm not saying the next grunge, but like I expected the next movement to have happened by now. And it hasn't. It, and it, it's frustrating. And we've had, we've had the environments to foster that creativity and that anger and that angst. And, and, I mean, who, I mean, maybe, maybe because of what we're seeing today in this global situation, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is it, but it's, it, I'm, I'm miffed at why we haven't seen that movement. I think, we, I, really I think the music that. is there though, Greg, I think the music is there. Uh, I think something that Ray said, you know, the, it's, there's, there's not, those DJs aren't, aren't around anymore to, to share that. And it's, you know, we're listening to, uh, computer Whatever Spotify wants us. Yeah, what Apple to wants stuff, us to. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, when I was talking to Don Brewer from Grand Folk Railroad, his wife was in radio for like 25, 30 years, you know, and, and we've all seen this where they moved away from having live DJs to where it's all automated to where they're actually doing live, re- they're doing reads from home. They're not even going into the studio to do promotional reads. And so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're losing that, 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 that voice, you know, and we had, um, you know, DJs for years. And we had a guy named Vince Skelsa here who ran a show forever called Idiot's Delight on Sunday nights. And he would bring these really random things in, right. And he curated kind of like, you know, like like, uh, the way Tom Petty's show was on Sirius. Great, great show. Dylan's show where he'd pick a word and he'd build a show around the word. Um, that was real entertainment. The thing that really, honestly, guys, that really shocks me right now, um, and it is the hope, it's the hope, is that podcasts are another form of audio, right? It's radio. Yeah. It's radio. And, and the fact that there isn't somebody out there taking the platform and making it something, like if you look at Joe Rogan and he can have as many people as he has, just take a fraction of that instead of a hundred million people, give me 5 million people who are listening and let me play music for him and go, if you like classic rock, just like Shelly did when he said to me, could you make me a mix? Let me take that and put it in this, in this arena and see what happens. And I think yeah. it requires that. And I think the podcast could be um, the future and, and um, enable that to happen. The thing that's interesting, Greg, and I, I know we're a little over here, but yeah. the thing that's interesting about what you said is that what happened, and it was more marketing-driven than demand-driven, was that, I don't know if you picked up on this over the last two years, but there were all these bands that were mining 
the 80s sound again. And it was like, okay, let's go to this because it's got a pop hook to it. And maybe we can take these bands and they can take that and make that the, the way to get in front of people. And it doesn't, it, it there was, the, the market wasn't there for it. It was trying to create a market. Um, and that, that kind of fell apart. You know, the last movement to, that I can, can think of that what you're talking about, it really didn't have the same impact as grunge, was the rap rock sound, right? It was like what Kid Rock and, and yeah. other bands like Linkin Park were doing. We were taking rock and rap and pulling it together. But you're right. We're, 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 we're looking for it. And I've often said that John Mayer is the guy who could save rock and roll. And he continues to go like, I don't know which way to go. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going with the pop. I'm going with the dead here. I got something that's a little bit more like Steely Dan. I'm going with Joni Mitchell. Like, it's all over the board. And, and it's, so, it's so derivative that um, it hasn't allowed for him to really create his own voice the way Clapton did, where you go, oh, that's Eric Clapton, Santana. Oh, that's, that's Santana. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, you know, even, even somebody like, you know, Kingfish now or Marcus King, like who are creating, but don't have the audience that he has. I mean, yeah. I could go for, I could go for hours. Here, guys. <laughs> I, got, Ray, I got, I got a lot more to take. Yeah. Awesome. Ray, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. So yeah, really, Bruce, so, so appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, let's not any of us hold it against ourselves that we know Hilton, but I'm glad that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Hilton introduced us and yeah, yeah, we'd love too. to, we'd love, we'd love to, uh, you know, get you back on. I didn't get through half, um, didn't get through two thirds yeah, yeah, of my questions that I had for you. Fun. And what, what yeah. we'll do maybe is, uh, I don't know how much you come up to the office up in Toronto, but, you know, once we do open up, we record at a, a local pub called uh, Radical Road. And so if you're up this way for meetings or whatever, we'd love to have you out. We'll sit down for a drink or whatever. He can have his Diet Coke and uh, we can uh, carry on the conversation. So that makes sense. I love it. Awesome. Hey, guys, thanks for inviting me. Definitely. I'd love to do it again. Thank Perfect. you so much. Thanks. Take care. Cheers. All right, guys.